Well, hey, I'm Josh with What's on Disney Plus. I am not Roger, uh, the normal host. Uh, my friend and I wanted to have a special conversation about Star Wars, and I thought I'd record it. Uh, we'll see where it goes. But uh, he is a uh, aficionado of Star Wars, my good friend, Aaron Welty. Hey, everybody. Aaron uh, is somebody who I've had many, many conversations over many years uh, with about Star Wars. And of course, with all this going on with Mandalorian right now, and all of these spinoff series yet to, to launch before too long, uh, it's a time to certainly understand. I also have a little son here that's around, so who knows, he may come into the shot at some point. But Aaron, what's, what's your background with Star Wars? So I have been a Star Wars fan for a very long time, was introduced to it by my family as a toddler and as, um, as my aunt uh, used to tell me, um, and that was it. And I was, I was sucked in uh, from the very beginning. Um, I've over the years, I've attended multiple uh, Star Wars celebrations all over the country, from the West Coast to the East Coast to the Midwest. Um, I actually got to speak at the Star Wars celebration in 2015, um, kind of at the intersection of Star Wars and spirituality and some of the deeper. Uh, spiritual truths that are inherent in uh, the saga and what we can learn from them as we kind of pair it up with some of our own lives. Um, but I've, I've spent uh, decades um, just immersed in Star Wars from the, the novels to the comic books to the video games. Um, I would say more of the old kind of EU, what is now Legends canon, as opposed to um, uh, all the newer stuff. I've, I've engaged with a lot of the newer stuff, but uh, but not all of it. Um, and just, you know, probably spent, you know, what Malcolm Gladwell, you know, calls that 10,000 hours um, just immersed in the galaxy uh, far, far away. And a lot of it for me is Star Wars is different things to different people, right? For some... Um, Star Wars is about the films. For some, it's about kind of the wider galaxy beyond the films. For some, Star Wars is about the stuff, right? The merchandising and all of, all of that. Um, for me, Star Wars has always been about the story and about knowledge and wisdom that can be taken from the story and the, the legend and lore and understanding why Star Wars is uh, not only what Star Wars is, but this idea that how do we take what we engage with from Star Wars and integrate it in a positive way um, into our own lives to help us be better people, um, you know. And uh, so that, that's a lot of what it is for me. Um, I've spent kind of a couple of, at least a couple of decades kind of in that space. Um, that's really great. That's really great. Well, I think, uh, you know, that's an excellent introduction. And anybody who's been around Welty uh, here in the DC area and has seen his place, he does have, a, you know, dozens of the novels, comic books. He, he has the merchandise. He certainly has, a, you know, a, a, a robust collection. So, but, you know, it's, it's an exciting time to be a Star Wars fan because I think all of us have loved what uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni have done with uh, The Mandalorian, uh, yep. just and all the different creative people who are surrounding them on that show. Uh, so obviously a lot of 
expectations and a lot of pressure was put on season two. A lot of people can do a season one that's good, but to actually, you know, come into a season two and to, and to excel in that and broaden the horizons, uh, that's a hard thing to do. And uh, so as you looked at, you know, not getting into the finale yet, but looking at the broad strokes of season two, what have you thought? Has it met your expectations? I would say that overall it has. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things that season two in particular has done and done well. Um, and, and we can talk about a, a few of those. But one of the most important things that season two did in the premiere episode that I think passes a lot of people by is the introduction of Timothy Oliphant as Cobb Vanth in that initial episode. And the reason that that's so important is because when Disney took over Lucas, well, took Lucasfilm and took over and made the decision to pretty much wipe away everything we grew up with in terms of, of EU that is now Legends. Expanded Universe. Um, expanded Universe and, and all of that. And they wanted to start fresh. One of the first things they did was Chuck Wendig um, wrote a trilogy of, of Star Wars novels called the Aftermath Trilogy that kind of covers what happens post uh, Return of the Jedi. And in the first book, Cobb Vanth is introduced, and over time you, you get little indicators that he is the character that we end up seeing in The Mandalorian with Boba Fett's armor and all of that. And what they've done with Cobb Vanth, this was the first time that they've taken a character from prose, from the novels, and said, we are going to transplant that character onto, um, into live action in a way that not only works for where we're going to place him, but does not negate anything that's already been written about him in the Chuck Wendig novels. And the fact that they were willing to do that the way they did it um, with the deft hand that they executed it, that to me said, okay, we already know that these guys are serious Star Wars fans and they, they care about the galaxy, they care about the lore, they care about the story, but they're going to be so careful with it to where they're, not only are they going to do things that we've never seen before, but they're going to respect what's already there. Do you anticipate Cobb Banth being a big player potentially in that Rangers of the New Republic spinoff? That's a very interesting question. Um, I will simply say that I would very much love to see Cobb Vanth again, um, no matter how they decide to integrate him. I was hoping that we would see him at least one more time in season two, uh, but that didn't happen. But I, I would very much like to see him um, again. We, Mandalorian as a story has a tendency to introduce characters and bring them back. And, and we've seen that quite a bit um, over the course of the second season, the first season as well, but particularly the second season. So I wouldn't be surprised if when we finally get to Mandalorian season three, if um, he comes back in some way. You know, I'm, I'm not at the level of fan that you are of Star Wars, but I have watched all of Clone Wars and I've seen some of Rebels, not all of it. 
And, you know, I could notice by the end of season one, of course, with the Darksaber introduction, I think a lot of people knew, okay, they're introducing some things from, you know, Dave Filoni's animated series. And of course, we saw that a lot deeper uh, degree with Ahsoka. Were there some other things beyond those kind of two big plot points that are, uh, you know, obviously coming straight from that that Clone Wars and and Rebels uh, and even Resistance, perhaps? Um, I haven't seen anything particularly that's, um, from resistance yet. Uh, I have my own thoughts on that show in particular, but, um, definitely the dark saber, um, you know, Ahsoka was big, obviously the introduction, the live action introduction of Bo-Katan was, was a very big thing. And it wasn't just that they were bringing, Bo-Katan into live action. It's that they were taking Katie Sackhoff, who spent all this time voicing her um, in that space and bringing the, essentially bringing the character from animation into live action as whole cloth as possible. I know that that, you know, that raises some some tension about, well, okay, if you did that with Bo-Katan, why didn't you uh, do that with Ahsoka and include Ashley Eckstein in some way. Um, but I think from what we've seen on social media, both Ashley Eckstein and Rosario Dawson are very uh, pro one another and um, are at peace with way, the way things are uh, seem to be progressing. But getting to see Bo-Katan in that way and as they're wrapping kind of her story and her connection to the Darksaber into, into Mandalorian. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how that gets resolved down the road. Yes. And I, I do want to move into the finale a little bit, uh, cause I think, you know, it's interesting how the revelation of this, this character, we can say, you know, Luke Skywalker, this is obviously spoiler right. heavy thing. So people would have hopefully seen the finale by this point, but I think it shocked us. I mean, I was honestly spoiled a little bit myself because I'm on Twitter too much. And Luke Skywalker was a trending term on Friday, oh, which is just okay. ridiculous. And so I was like, you know, this is, I, so, um, you know, my wife was totally surprised and I, but I'm like, okay, I don't want to hear another thing about this, uh, what they're doing yeah. here. But, uh, you know, they're obviously in that era of post return of the Jedi. There are, were perhaps a few other Jedi character who maybe, you know, who, people who know the, the lore well enough who could have been in that role of training him. And, you yes. know, I, so I'm curious, do, was it, I know it's a choice that then some fans who are, you know, a, a, of your level that kind of know legends, know, you know, the, 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 the lore and the, you know, the mythology of it to a high degree that it, you know, might say, okay, was it just fan service? Was it, you know, are we just linking everything to the Skywalker saga? Can't anything be separate from the Skywalker saga? Um, how do you kind of think through sort of that story choice of right. bringing in Luke at the end there? So you're correct that there are a couple of others that it, it could have been. Obviously, at one point, we thought that it could have been Ahsoka, but they were able to deal with that in story um, in her episode. Uh, you know, agree or disagree with how they decided to deal with it. Um, it could have been her. Obviously, it was not. It could have been Ezra Bridger, you know. The last time we saw Ezra Bridger was in the finale of, of Rebels, and 
he made a choice that ultimately saved his friends and family, um, but brought him away from uh, what was going on in the galaxy in the rest of kind of what we, you know, see as the original trilogy era. Um, he and, and Grand Admiral Thrawn both, but then in the, at the end of, of that, that finale in the epilogue, uh, we see that, that Ahsoka has been trying to find them, right? And then comes back to Lothal, uh, connects with Sabine and says, okay, it's time to go get Ezra, time to bring him home. Um, and there's some timeline issues, right, with where does this uh, episode of The Mandalorian that you see her in, in season two, fall into the greater scheme of things, you know, and I think that's connected ultimately to the Ahsoka show that they've announced. Um, so it could have been, could have been Ezra. I think he still could have just shown up and, and been that person, even though we don't have all of the resolution to uh, where he's been and all that stuff. If he somehow found his way back to, you know, the areas of the galaxy that we know, heard that call from Grogu on Tython and just shown up and then Ahsoka, the Ahsoka show would have kind of told the rest of that story. I still think he could have shown up. Um, I think that Ezra is the one that probably should have shown up in terms of being able to deal with Grogu's attachment issues to, to Mando because, I mean, Ezra has some of his, his own attachment issues that he had to work through in the series because of his connection to his parents and some other people. Um, and... Um, I was one of the ones who a couple of weeks ago kind of figured out it could be Luke. It probably will be Luke, but I don't want it to be him. I, because they've done such a good job with Mandalorian, not really touching, you know, parts and pieces of the Skywalker saga and expanding the galaxy in a live action format in that way, I wanted them to kind of leave it alone mm -hmm. and let Mandalorian stand um, on its own and, and be something a little bit separate. I mean, you've got reference, you know, Ahsoka makes a reference to Yoda, right? And then, of course, Boba Fett. But you really didn't have a whole lot of super-duper, like, in-your-face character connections to, you had some locality, um, you know, with, with Tatooine and whatnot. And so I, I was really glad that they were kind of separating that stuff out. And then the moment, you know, that I saw the X-Wing, my, my honest visceral reaction was, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. And I knew what they would do. And... I still feel that way in terms of I did not I did not and do not want Luke to be the solution to the the Grogu question. However, however, having watched that scene multiple times and let it sink in, they did some things there that I think are just beautifully brilliant. You know, the fact that we finally get to see Luke Skywalker in live action coming into his power, 
as a Jedi, right? Coming into his place and power in the galaxy as a Jedi in a way that's familiar to those of us that immersed ourselves in the legends canon when we were younger. Well, let me, let me uh, challenge that a little bit because some people would say, of course, it's mirroring the, the Rogue One scene uh, with Darth Vader. But it, I, I know, absolutely agree with that, and I loved that. But it's, you know, some would say that the character of a Jedi is, is a one who is a, is a peacemaker, not coming right. in like a, like a hacking, you know, warrior like we saw with Darth. And I think it was a more restrained uh, scene than what we saw in Rogue One. But still, you know, but, is this emphasizing a warlike, you know, and, and then why would Mando trust this person coming in as, as a warrior in this situation that, that I mean, is he going to harm Grogu? So I, right. I know that's a common criticism I hear. So I, I, would, I would push back a little bit and I would ask the question, what was Luke Skywalker's intent? There, there are a couple of things there, right? Because Yoda says to Luke Skywalker on Dagobah that you, as a Jedi, using the Force is always about two things, knowledge and defense, right? And so what is Luke Skywalker's intent here? Essentially, Everything that he harms in that, the dark troopers, at least in this incarnation, are droids, right? So he's not harming any um, biological life form um, on, on one level. He's not harming any biological life form. And his, his intent here is to connect with Grogu because he's had some sort of communion with Grogu through the Force as a result of what happens on Tython that up until he shows up, um, Mando's not really aware of and, and still isn't aware of the full extent of, he saw a little bit of it with, with Grogu and Ahsoka, and so he knows that there's something going on here in terms of Grogu's capacity that he just doesn't have access to. And the fact that when the when the x-wing came into the ship and you saw it on the screen and you saw grogu reach his little three-fingered hand out to the screen as it and kind of look at his look at you know mando as the dad delorean and kind of say like okay this this is the guy like this is who we you know you've been trying to get me to right as my foster dad um i i think Essentially, what Luke is still trying to do is he's, he's doing what he needs to do to protect Grogu. But he's also, in doing that, the next step, and he talks about it in terms of taking him and, and attempting to train him, the next step is to be able to grow, to grow Grogu's knowledge of the Force so that he's able to eventually defend himself because, you know, Luke says he's never going to be safe until he's able to learn how to harness this capacity that he has. So I don't see, I don't see what they've done. Yes, yes, they're echoing Rogue One, and the, the, the visual piece of it is beautiful, and Star Wars is built to intentionally echo itself. Um, but I don't see this as something outside of Luke's call as a Jedi. Um, to essentially train, teach, and defend. Would he potentially come off as a threat, though, to Mandalorian, coming in that fierce and that strong? Um, you know, or having watched it several times, do you, do you see more there? 
Um, well, I think, I think the moment, um, I know a couple of things. I think that moment where you see Grogu reach out on the screen that I already mentioned kind of says a lot um, in terms of Grogu knows who this is. Grogu knows that this is the next step. And Mando does a lot in acquiescing to this and, and trusting um, you know, Grogu's instinct, not just through the force, but the, the fact that you know, things are a little murky and you get into that early on in the first season about how the species ages, right? And wh where he's actually at mentally um, and, and emotionally. But there's, there's definitely this trust that exists between you know, our, our, our foster father and son and I think Mando leans into it. Um, but I, I also think that because, because of the history between the Mandalorian and the Jedi that they've hinted at all through the series, right, there's, there's a part of it where he's got four or five individuals with him so part of what he's thinking may be the fact that okay if this goes south if this goes sour i think we can get grogu out of here because we've got three mandalorians and beskar is is you know lightsaber resistant and all that stuff we still have tactically the upper hand but yet at the same time one of the things you've seen across the across not just the second season but the series as a whole is that the Mandalorian's worldview, Din Djarin's worldview is being challenged in a lot of different ways to go from hating droids because of what the droids did to your parents to begrudgingly, you know, acquiescing to and respecting a droid for what he does at the end of the first season to having his, um, his worldview in terms of this is the way and being a child of the watch and a foundling and all that challenged by Bo-Katan and the fact that the armor comes to him and says, yes, we see the Jedi as a group of galactic enemy sorcerers, but it is still your place. It is still your quest. It is still your next step, your next step, your next chapter to be willing to set that aside and risk giving this child to this group of enemy sorcerers because we know that that's where he belongs. And one of the things we see happen over the course of the second season, you see it happen um, at the end of the penultimate episode of the season where he is even willing to forego portions of his own code of his own creed in defense of this foster child that he's got and he says to Moff Gideon that you have no idea you know, he, he parrots Moff Gideon right that you have no idea what you're in possession of and it means more to me than you will ever know meaning it means more to me than my own upbringing and my own creed the yeah. life of this young, of this young fledgling Jedi, and I, I think that ultimately he, you know, he completes that mission, um, 
and you know, ultimately it's done in a way that doesn't violate what Luke understands of a Jedi role in the Force in terms of knowledge um, and defense. Because as soon as that threat is neutralized, you don't see Luke Skywalker's lightsaber again. Because there's something in Luke's connection to the Force where he's able to know, okay, this is where I need to be. This is who I need to come get. And I can trust these people because Grogu trusts these people. Yes, that's so good. Well, that second to last episode, I think that scene you mentioned, it was such a key moment for the audience because I think it's something that, you yes. know, we've all connected in a sense to Grogu, to Baby Yoda, if you want to call him that. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it was almost like he's such a distant character and he's under all that armor, et cetera. We don't always, we can't always read him. You know, I think mm -hmm. for him to state his motivations and his, uh, you know, connection to, to, to Grogu so uh, clearly and, and, you know, in a sense, passionately, as in a sense, that father figure that you've mentioned, I think yep. uh, was a real big moment. And it led into the finale really wonderfully. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, they do see, uh, you know, uh, John Favreau, Dave Filoni as kind of almost pulling out their action figure sets, you know, mm -hmm. here with this show and, and saying, well, of course, they just had to go for, you know, the, the action figure that is the, the, always the hero, always the, the yeah. center of any Star Wars set. Um, and, you know, do you think that there maybe is from behind the scenes some kind of push from Disney to say there needs to be fan service in this? Or do you think that Favreau and Filoni are getting to tell the story they want to tell? I think the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> um, I, think, I think there's, there's a little bit of both. Um, I had a conversation with my best friend recently. You know, he and I have been Star Wars fans together for decades and we had a conversation about how Dave Filoni uh, is definitely the successor to George Lucas when it comes to understand, understanding and telling the story of Star Wars, right? But John Favreau, even though he has some of what Filoni has, and he's, he's shown that, you know, he wasn't kind of the personal Padawan to Lucas like Dave Filoni was for so many years. The thing about John Favreau is John Favreau understands the technical side of George Lucas in terms of pushing the medium, right? Because he worked on, he directed Jungle Book and they did a lot to push the, the, the movie making medium that way, you know, with Disney and then he did Lion King and they did more to push the medium that way. And now he's being able to push the entertainment creation medium even further technologically with what he's doing uh, with Mandalorian, with the, the video screens and, you know, that whole episode of the gallery where they talk about George Lucas's garage. I mean, they're living that now. They're doing that now. And so the two of them together, I think, are kind of the, the cre technological and story dream team for Star Wars. On the one hand, um, I think that I very much think that they are getting to tell not only, not only the story, but the stories that they want to tell with, you know, what they're doing now, but also some of the shows have been announced that they're both connected to as executive producers. And, you know, sometimes when you look at executive producing in, in the Hollywood space, it's 
you know, collecting a check. Mm -hmm. For these two guys, absolutely not. They are in it. They are hands-on. They are, they are making Star Wars. And from everything I've seen and read and heard, they are loving every second of it. So they are telling the story that they want to tell. Um, but I, I do think that they're, and, and this is kind of kaleidoscopic, but I do think that there is a little bit of, especially with the use of Luke Skywalker in that way, um, there is a little bit of mea culpa for, in, in, in some minds, there is some mea culpa for what we saw in The Last Jedi, right? My personal view of that is a little more nuanced, where I believe that there is some of that, and we're, you know, they're letting us see something we've always wanted to see that we expected to see on the big screen and didn't get to. But I also believe, um, you know, one of, the, one of the kind of camps of thought and schools of thought with this is that Filoni and Favreau are setting out to fix Star Wars, right? To fix the sequel trilogy. Um, and I understand where that, that thought process comes from. Um, I think it's a little, little premature and a little early to ultimately determine that. But I understand where that thought process comes from. My, my question is this. Are they, are they really out to fix Star Wars and the sequel trilogy? Or are they out to frame it and to fill it in and to fill in things we haven't seen yet so we better understand why we got what we got with old man Skywalker often alone um, as opposed to this swashbuckling, you know, sword-wielding Jedi. And I think part of what's happening here is we're getting to see the Luke we always wanted to see, but part of the reason for showing us the Luke we always wanted to see that feels far more like the Luke we got in Legends canon is because we need to understand the formation of the legend of Luke Skywalker not only, not only out in the galaxy at large, but also in his own mind. Because remember what Obi-Wan said to Luke about Obi-Wan training Anakin. I thought I could train Anakin just as well as Yoda. Not meaning, not meaning that I could train Anakin as well as Yoda did, because Yoda didn't, but I could... I could be a Jedi master and I could be a teacher just as well as Yoda was and, and continued to be. Um, and so we're, we're seeing kind of the, the, we're seeing the formation of what's going to lead to the Jedi master in exile cycle repeating itself with Luke on Octu in in episode eight, and they're, they're showing it to us, I think, in a way that makes us very happy and very excited and very shocked and, oh my gosh, you know, this is the moment we've been waiting for. Filoni and Favreau are out to, you know, do X, Y, Z, but I think the plan that they actually have is much grander and much more nuanced in terms of they don't want to discount anything that's already happened in the real world in terms of releases. But I think that they want to build on it and inform um, 
inform what's happening and turn all of this knowledge that we think we have and understanding that we think we have into actual wisdom. Because you, what you see is some of what you see happen in this episode of, of The Mandalorian with that scene with Luke, there are some similarities between that and the confrontation that we have with between Luke and Kylo Ren in um, in the Last Jedi, where that confrontation seems to kind of be a synthesis of what we just saw in the Mandalorian, but also acknowledging some of the old man Luke stuff that we see in that film. Um, here's my little guy, Josiah. Um, there he is. So, um, you know that what you were describing there, that framing is yep. exactly, of course, what Dave Filoni did over the course of a decade or 12 years with the Clone Wars, no question. Yes. Uh, you know, he made us appreciate, yes. in a sense, the prequel films, which, yep. you know, many people have issues with, I think, still on their own, I, I have trouble with. But in the context of the Clone Wars, where I think Dave Filoni explored themes like the ethics of war and mm -hmm. even the bioethics of cloning and things like this, that... Uh, it, it gave us a much deeper appreciation and uh, understanding uh, and of, of some, some things going on behind the scenes there. Um, so yeah, I, I think, kind of took to, oh, you go, yeah, come I, on. I, I think, I think that's a great, here. I think that's a great observation because Filoni has his kind of set standard way of doing things to where, like, and I, I know you and I are both also fans of his work on Avatar. Right on Nickelodeon, which is what he did before Clone Wars, and how when you watch Avatar, because I came to Avatar after Clone Wars, because I wanted to better understand how Dave Filoni tells story and the kinds of stories he likes to tell, and you look at something like Avatar in conjunction with Clone Wars, and there are there are character arc parallels between the show where. You know, a character that goes through a certain arc in one show, a different character goes through a similar arc in another show. Um, and you see it, again, you see that same arc, kind of arc for certain characters in a show like Rebels. So Dave Filoni knows the kinds of stories he wants to tell and what he wants those stories to do. So I think your, your observation that he may in fact be doing for the sequels with some of this live action stuff, what he did for the prequels to animation. I think that's right on. I think that very well may be what they're up to. Um, you know, and I think it's all in the, in the service of, of telling great Star Wars stories. You know, I mean, yes. I just, I think yes. Filoni, I think John Favreau has shown he can do, you know, a lot of franchises. He obviously has a passion for Star Wars, but I think particularly Filoni, I mean, it seems he was born to tell Star Wars stories. I, I love yep. what he does in that space. Yep. Um, both of us had the same reaction, I think, when we saw the 10 different Star Wars projects that were announced um, and we, yep. we you know, didn't even discuss it and had the exact re reaction to the Investor's Day thing on Star Wars, which was that, okay, I, right away I want to know which ones that Dave Filoni is connected to and, um, and in, in which case, I'm, you know, those are ones I'm going to put on my watch list. The others, right. it's a little bit wait and see right now, although that Andor yep. you know, uh, sizzle reel was pretty cool and it looks yes. a lot of fun. Uh, but just to kind of set the stage then for what series are coming that people can be looking forward to, we know in 2021, I would guess summer, uh, probably August timeframe, maybe that the Bad Batch is going to roll out. Um, yeah. I don't know what you've heard about the length of that series, et cetera, um, or 
you know, how long it might last. Uh, I know it's basically a continuation of the Clone Wars in a lot of ways, and the animation looks phenomenal in that. In that, yep. trailer. I, I hope that people have seen it because that's one to really check out closely because it's it's pretty amazing. Um, what what era of Star Wars is that? If you want to tell us, uh, you know, briefly, and then right. how, you know, uh, how long do you expect it to last? Um, so that that era of Star Wars is essentially when you watch the final four episodes of Clone Wars, you see the Siege of Mandalore and all those events you see them bleed into episode three. Episode three is kind of like the background for uh, those last four episodes. And I think it's going to be the same for Bad Batch. Like you see the scene in the trailer where the emperor had, makes the speech about, you know, the, new, the Republic is going to be born into a new galactic empire. And that one single shot tells you everything you need to know about where in the timeline it's happening and how this is their way of taking kind of the story of the Clone Wars uh, past episode three, which is something that Dave Filoni talked about wanting to do initially, you know, to do with Clone Wars um, all the way back, you know, when it originally got canceled on in season, at the end of season five with Cartoon Network. And now he's, as Dave Filoni often does, he's found a way to do what he wants to do, and they're going to let him do it because he's proven himself um, already. And I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to you know Bad Batch and the other Filoni projects, but the one that I'm very curiously interested in, um, believe it or not, the one that I think was the kind of investor day shocker is Rogue Squadron. Um, you know, Patty Jenkins is about to make a Star Wars meets Top Gun fighter pilot movie. And as somebody who grew up reading the Michael Stackpole X-Wing novels and the Aaron Alston X-Wing novels and, you know, uh, Stackpole's I Jedi about Coran Horn and all that stuff. When you tell me you're going to make a Rogue Squadron movie, there's a whole lot of expectation that comes with that and they've said it's going to be an original story that is influenced by the books and comics and video games that are related to star wars fighter pilots so i'm i am very cautiously hopeful for that and i, mean, I love what patty jenkins did with wonder woman um and so i know that she's a very capable uh director and in terms of her being the first kind of full-fledged female Star Wars film director, I am completely and utterly on board and cannot wait. I think that's great. And I love the Air Force kind of aura of that, uh, of that sizzle reel. It was very fun. Yes. Uh, as somebody who has a brother who's Air Force and has my wife and her, her dad uh, is, was Air Force. So I, I think that's exciting. I, if you're excited about it, frankly, then I, I would be. Yeah. So, you know, that, that gives people something to be looking forward to. Uh, we're going to go right in though to December of 2021 then with the book of Boba Fett, um, which yes. I would anticipate personally is going to be maybe four episodes, a shorter series. I would anticipate, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe, maybe it's six, but what, um, what do you anticipate the story of that to be perhaps just general, right. you know, uh, contours of what that might be? Um, like? I think, I think your thought about its length is interesting especially since we know that the Obi-Wan 
series that they've they've talked about that we've known about for a while is going to be I think six episodes. Um, I I think it it could be a, a kind of a mini series type uh, format, but if it's successful enough, it could be more. It, it could be either or. I do expect that some of what some of what um, it will do is it will fill in some of the blanks about, okay, we know he survived the Sarlacc. How did he survive the Sarlacc? And not only how do you survive the Sarlacc, but how much of the old Legends EU story of him surviving the Sarlacc is going to be kind of recanonized intact in the, you know, Book of Boba Fett um, situation, you know, series that we're going to get. And so I think there's going to be some of that. But I'm really curious as to, okay, if he, you know, if he's now kind of taken the throne of whatever's left of the, of the hut gangster syndicate from Bib Fortuna, right, which that, that surprised me. I was like, oh, so Bib Fortuna's in charge now. How did he survive Jabba's sail barge from being blown up? That's another question. I, I don't know if they'll answer it because the character's dead. Um, but I think that they'll, they'll try to answer some of that, you know, how did we get to where we are with Fett and what's, you know, what's he been up to? Um, but Boba Fett as a crime lord could be potentially very, very interesting uh, because there's even, and they may or may not allude to some of this stuff, there's even portions of Boba Fett's story from the Clone Wars series that never made it to air. There's, there's footage. I think it, they showed it at um, Celebration 2015 in uh, Anaheim. There's footage of, there was an episode that was plotted out where there's kind of this old gunslinger, high noon, um, you know, gunfight between Boba Fett and Cad Bane from the Clone Wars. And the footage cuts. It, it's, you know, rough animatronic footage, but it, it cuts right before the resolution so you don't know who wins the gunfight. And so it's one of the things that they're going to kind of answer for us either in a flashback or in dialogue. Are they going to answer the question of who actually won that gunfight and what happened to Cad Bane? Because if you're going to tell, you know, at least in a passing way, some of the story of what happened to Cad Bane, because there was a lot of interplay between the two of them in the Clone Wars, this might be a good place to at least allude to that, if not, you know, flesh some of it out. Very interesting. I, I think, too, when some people hear Crime Syndicate and Star Wars, maybe having just seen Solo, a Star Wars story, they might yeah. be thinking, oh, Darth Maul. But if I'm not mistaken, there's a, some things that have occurred in Rebels at this point in the, in the timeline. Am I correct? You are, you are correct. If, if folks have not seen the season three episode of Rebels Twin Sons, where Maul's uh, story concludes in a, not only a beautiful way, but a way that absolutely echoes Star Wars in some of the best ways to echo Star Wars. And that, that may actually get touched on in the Obi-Wan series that we haven't seen yet. Um, but do yourself a favor, um, watch Twin Sons, 
and then go back and watch it again. Because uh, I definitely, when it first aired, I definitely had to watch it a couple of times to fully understand what was actually, what I was actually seeing, what was actually happening, and the, the depth and significance of it for the characters involved. The reason I say uh, potentially four episodes or so of uh, The Book of Boba Fett is that they've said, um, you know, Book of Boba Fett is going to lead directly into, they've said, season three of Mandalorian. They've, okay. said, that, they've said that season three is coming out uh, Christmas Day of 2021. And so, and they've also said, okay. of course, coming December 2021, right. Book of Boba Fett. So I think potentially we'll get it early in, in, in that month. December. And then it leads right into then uh, Mandalorian season three. That's, that's just my anticipation. Okay. What we don't know, of course, is how they're going to sequence um, in presumably 2022, um, the Ahsoka series and, and or Rangers of the New Republic. Perhaps one of those is further out. Um, but I'm assuming overall, and we really should wrap up here, but that we're talking about kind of a five season, maybe further than that arc for Mandalorian, the core show. Um, you know, that's my anticipation. Um, I would I would say for, for Mandalorian as the core show, the first show, I would say at least four seasons. I know that they've said that they've mapped it out through four seasons. If they, if they, if they stick with the four season you know, framework, that would match the work that Filoni's done on Rebels. But if they want to keep going, you know, that would match more, more so the work he's done on Clone Wars. Um, and I think, especially from his experience working on Rebels, that, you know, one of the, one of the lessons he learned between Clone Wars and Rebels is the importance of a show ending on your own terms going out on its own terms. And so I don't think that Mandalorian will be one that will overstay its welcome. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, shows will do that. They'll go on too long. Um, but I don't think that Mandalorian will understay its welcome. And when you're building, when you're building kind of a network and a larger universe of, of shows like this that are interconnected, even if the Mandalorian ends, after four or five seasons, you know, that doesn't necessarily preclude the Mandalorian characters from showing up in other series. I kind of liken it to, you know, what Netflix did with Marvel with the, with Daredevil and Jessica Jones and the Defenders and that kind of stuff. Um, I feel like this is part of what they're kind of building for Star Wars. It's interesting how, of course, Ming-Na Wen's character, uh, Fennec Shand, I believe is right. Uh, yes. How she shows up then in Bad Batch, we've already seen from the trailer. Yeah, uh, you know, so that's that's a great little connection point. Even though that's obviously many years before than yes. the events of the Mandalorian. Then, so yes, the timeline is complicated. People need to to obviously get a chart out sometimes and uh, <laughs> understand how this is all connected. Well, just one big last question. You know, I think we've gotten to see now a lot of behind the scenes, even of the show. Um, you know, hear from them firsthand in that wonderful Disney Gallery series. We're about to get a, a season two of that uh, here on Friday. They'll give us a, an hour long episode of that. Um, you know, when you hear from the filmmakers, Favreau, Filoni, others, um, you know, cause you know, the, the common criticism is that, hey, Star Wars is, is almost in a sense telling the same stories over and over again, that it's repetitive, that it's, you know, uh, it's not giving us something original and new. But when you see what these filmmakers are doing, when you hear the heart behind the show, um, why do you find it compelling and as a, as a Star Wars fan, something that you say, hey, this is bringing something new to the, to right. the universe. Um, 
again, you know, one of my favorite words to use when, they, when I talk about Star Wars is nuance, right? Um, and I think the nuances of it is something that Filoni and Favreau understand. You know, take the time. I think it's the second episode of the gallery series where Filoni kind of goes on his Star Wars soliloquy that's become kind of legend now, where he explains the nature of Star Wars as a story that is ultimately always going to be about family, right? No matter which way it comes out, it's going to be about family. And um, because of that, one of the things that Star Wars does and does really well is its generational storytelling as related to family and how each generation is essentially confronted with the same questions, that the same trials, tribulations, and questions that the previous generation is faced with. And the question for them is, well, how much do you know about how the previous generation handled um, these questions? You see that in the sequel trilogy when they talk about, well, I thought Luke Skywalker was just a myth, right? And, and that was only a generation ago, you know, 30, 40 years ago. And yet these new, this new generation of characters, they have no sense of history. So Star Wars does a very good job of building a sense of history, both large and small, and, you know, confronting the viewer through the characters with this question of what are you going to do in your generation? Because the ultimate question in Star Wars, which around Star Wars orbits, um, and it's not too different than, than the Godfather films, really, the first two anyway, um, is what am I willing to do for family, right? Anakin Skywalker's confronted with that question and he makes the choices that he makes that sent that help, you know, spiral the galaxy into um, terror, tyranny and chaos for a generation. His son is confronted with those same questions. What am I willing to do for family and makes a different choice that sets the galaxy on a better path, at least for a time. But the thing is, these, these questions and these challenges, they're going to come up again and again and again. And one of the things that the sequel trilogy did well is in retreading, you know, I, I sometimes call it the requel trilogy, in retreading these, these themes, one of the things that, that um, the, the requel trilogy did, particularly The Force Awakens, is whether it meant to or not, it borrowed from Tolkien in the sense that when you get to the end of Lord of the Rings and everything seems great and copacetic, well, Tolkien never finished the story that he was working on after that. He never finished the story about the new shadow that was set a generation or two later when Aragorn's son is now king and that, that, that evil shadow yeah, that had previously hung over Middle Earth begins to creep its way back in, right? But we, we don't know the resolution there. And in some way, Star Wars gave us more of a resolution to that question of what do you do 
when the evil returns? What do you do when it comes back that Tolkien unfortunately was never able to give us because he never finished the story? So that's part of what's going on here is it's Star Wars is trying to tell a cyclical generational story that helps us helps us determine how we want to live. Not by saying thou shalt X, Y, Z or thou shalt not X, Y, Z, but showing us what making those choices does to these characters so that we can decide for ourselves, well, I don't want to be like Darth Vader, but I do want to be like Luke Skywalker. And when a, when a story does that, and a story does that well, um, that's what sticks with us on a much deeper level than, say, a, a direct command, an imperative command, because we have gone on the journey with the characters, kind of like Bastion going on the journey with Atreyu in The NeverEnding Story, and having gone on the journey with the characters we feel invested in their journey and their journey ends up impacting our own journey. And then we get to where we are. And that's part of why when you get to the end of the finale of season two of the Mandalorian, that's why so many people reacted the way they did because they're invested in what happens to Luke Skywalker and they wanted it to happen a certain way and they didn't get to see it happen that way. But now they've gotten a glimpse of what they wanted all along. <laughs> well, that was great. What a good ending uh, to the, this conversation. Uh, thank you, Aaron Welty. Um, You're welcome. This was great. Uh, he, I know he's working on a book, and I know people can find you right on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, if they're looking to connect with you potentially in your work and uh, your past commentary on, on Star Wars and other great storytelling, uh, he's, you know, all things genre you know, TV and film, as you might imagine, uh, you know, Aaron Welty is, is someone who has a great authority and understanding of it. And I had someone I've gained a lot from. Um, I'll just close it out here to say thanks to Roger for allowing the opportunity here to, to just uh, come on into a special episode. And uh, of course, folks should subscribe to the channel. You should, uh, you know, check out what's on DisneyPlus.com. And there is also the Disney Plus Facebook group where folks can interact and I'm on there. Uh, Josh Shepard, you can find me and I'm also on Twitter, but uh, always uh, great to be a part of the community and we're all uh, enjoying Star Wars and all the different things that are coming. So um, y'all have a great one and Merry Christmas to you and, and to you, uh, Aaron. Thank you, sir. Thanks, everybody. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.